Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, Battle Ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that with steadfast faith we may cling to your Son, Jesus Christ, find comfort in his passion and death, believe the forgiveness of sin through him, and in willing obedience to your will, lead holy lives on earth, until by your grace we depart from this world of sorrow and obtain an eternal life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, uh, some edits to the programming schedule. Tomorrow is a holy day of obligation, which means you must go to Mass. So if you haven't already done so, you should call or go on the website for your church and find out what are the Mass times for tomorrow. Often there's a vigil Mass tonight if you can't get to Mass tomorrow because you have to work. So you need to find that out. Um, I have an 8 o'clock Mass, which it's like a Sunday Mass, so it's going to go over an hour. So tomorrow's program will be a recorded one uh, because I'm not going to be done with Mass by 9 o'clock. So today we're going to, um, I'm going to go into what the Immaculate Conception is a little bit, talk about that because it is a very big solemnity of the church. Uh, and then, if we have time, we'll go into some Ask the Exorcist questions, because I won't be doing that live tomorrow. So, um, to begin, many people think the Immaculate Conception is the conception of Jesus. Uh, that's not what it is. It's, it's, it's easy to misunderstand this, too, because the readings tomorrow will be about... Um, Jesus's birth and, and him coming into the world because uh, it's the closest thing we have to talking about a birth and a conception, although, you know, it's not Mary's. But the, the December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, it celebrates the very important point of Catholic teaching. And that is, it's that Mary was conceived with no sin, no original sin, no, and then had no personal sin. Uh, and uh, she had a human father and a human mother, but her conception was not uh, virginal, meaning she was conceived without sin by the grace of God. We call this, it's a special grace, it's called prevenient grace, I'll get to that in a minute. And the Catechism of the Church explains it this way. And this is paragraph 490, if you want to take this into deeper prayer. To become the mother of the Savior, Mary was enriched by God with gifts appropriate to such a role. The angel Gabriel, at the moment of the Annunciation, salutes her as full of grace. In fact, in order for Mary to be able to give the free assent of her faith to the announcement of her vocation, it was necessary that she be wholly born by God's grace. Through the centuries, the church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. 
That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. The Most Blessed Virgin Mary was, from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. Now, remember, this is in, he proclaimed as dogma in 1854. And it's very curious to me that uh, when Our Lady appeared to little Bernadette Subaru in France, uh, as Our Lady of Lords, this was in the year um, 1876. Actually, that's when it was granted, 1862. So right, right after this time, she appears to Bernadette and says, I am the Immaculate Conception. Of course, she would say it in French. Bernadette didn't speak English. But she said, I am the Immaculate Conception. Uh, now, Bernadette wouldn't have known what that means. She wouldn't have understood it. She wouldn't know anything about what that encapsulates in the fullness of faith. But she did remember the words, and she told the bishop, and of course, he would have been stunned because that dogma had just been uh, promulgated just a few years earlier, as uh, was done by uh, the Pope declaring this, you know, uh, Pius IX in 1854. So, and, you know, it's not like today that something happens in Rome and Pope Francis says something on an airplane and within minutes it's tweeted all over the world. Um, this decree of dogma would have been promulgated um, and then it would have been sent to the bishops of the world by mail. You know, it would take sometimes months to go overseas by boat. And the bishops would then, you know, gradually disseminate the information to the priests. And the priests may not have even passed it on to the people very quickly. So it could, it could take years before the people, the, the vast majority of Catholics would have understood that this was now a dogma. So fascinating that she would do that. So what is what is the Immaculate Conception? So the cross has such power, you know, and uh, the grace that flowed from the cross in redeeming mankind, it also, for us, it would reach forward, you know. So when you were baptized within the last, you know, whatever, 50, 60 years, um, that grace flowing out of that redemption, the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ flows forward to you and, and uh, the, through the power of the Holy Spirit sets you free from original sin by baptism. But that grace is not limited to flowing in one direction. It can flow backward in time. And so it flowed backward and uh, that special grace given to her alone preserved her from all original sin the moment she was conceived. But it's through Jesus's cross and resurrection. So you would have to say that Mary too needed Jesus as a savior because without him, she wouldn't have received this grace. So it's important we remember that because some people say, well, she was perfect. She didn't need to be redeemed. Well, she needed the redemption in order to be perfect. So it was a little bit different for her, but nonetheless, she still needed a savior. Does this mean that Mary never sinned? That's precisely what it means. Uh, the way redemption was applied to our Blessed Virgin Mary at the moment of her conception, she was not only protected from contracting uh, original sin, but also 
given a grace to never indulge in personal sin. Again, the Catechism explains this in paragraph 493. The fathers of the Eastern tradition call the Mother of God the All-Holy, the Panangia, and celebrate her as free from any stain of sin, as though fashioned by the Holy Spirit and formed as a new creature. By the grace of God, Mary remained free of every personal sin and whole, whole life long. Uh, so we know for sure uh, Jesus never sinned, and we know for sure Mary never sinned as well by the uh, promulgation of this dogma and the understanding of the church's teaching. You know, we go by where the Catholic Church is one of both the, the word and the tradition passed on through the church fathers, the apostles, the uh, dogmas of the popes uh, in union with all the bishops of the world. And so we do believe this to be true. And it's not something you can pick and choose. You know, per private revelation, such as Fatima, or Our Lady appearing in Medjugorje, or Our Lady appearing in Lourdes, or any of the number of mystics of the church uh, teachings, it's private revelation, which means you do not have to believe it, although if the church acknowledges it to be uh, true, it would be good for bolstering your faith. Dogmas, on the other hand, are required to be accepted and embraced by all who claim to be Catholic. So this is not something we can pick and choose if we want to believe. It's, it's, a, it's part of our faith, part and parcel. You must take it. It's the fabric of the faith. And, you know, again, uh, some people would say, you know, maybe Mary didn't need Jesus to die on the cross for her. No, that's not true at all. Uh, again, the prevenient grace, it reached backward in time to preserve her so that she would be a perfect vessel to hold Jesus. Now, if you think about the Old Testament uh, Ark of the Covenant, this was the most holy and sacred uh, item that the Jews had. You know, So when they built the temple, they had the outer chamber, the inner court, and then the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, which only one day a year the high priest would go in. Uh, and he usually he had to tie that red rope to himself in case he was not ritually clean. He would be struck dead and they would have to pull him out because nobody would want to go in there. So, And that uh, Ark of the Covenant was uh, fashioned with strict adherence to the direct instructions of God himself. So he said, this is how it must be built. It must be of the finest materials of the acacia wood, of plated in gold, pure gold. Um, every facet of this ark was perfect, as perfect as it can be with earthly elements. And if anybody touched the ark, other than a high priest, uh, of, of the tribe of Levi, they were struck dead in, on the spot. You know that from poor... Uh, Uzzah, who reached out to steady the ark as it was being making its way back to uh, David. So that's an ark where God hovered above. So the presence of God hovered above the ark, inside the ark, where the, the, the manna, the staff of Aaron, and the Ten Commandments. So, you know, again, earthly elements. They were not anything that was directly divine. How much more how much more would the new Ark of the Covenant have to be pure and holy than the old Ark? Because the new Ark would be holding Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, much holier than the manna, much holier 
than the staff, much holier than the than the ten the two tablets, because this is God Himself. So that vessel would have to be the holiest, the most pure, the most perfect, and that's precisely the way God made His mother. Um, as Don Calloway, Father Don Calloway, has often said to me, you know, when we talk about these things, he says. You know, if, if, if you were going to make your mother, you had the opportunity to craft her perfectly according to whatever you wanted to make her. Would you not make her perfect? Of course we would, right? But she would be completely flawless. And this is what was done for Our Lady. She, in being called full of grace, um, we also refer to her as the most excellent fruit of redemption. She's a fruit of redemption, you know. That means she's a product, the most perfect product of the redemption, meaning the passion, death, and resurrection, paschal moment of Christ. Um, another question we could ask is, how does this make Mary somewhat parallel of Eve? Well, when you consider uh, Adam and Eve were both created immaculate, without original sin or any stain of sin. So they too were created in perfection. But they were created literally by the hand of God. They did not come through um, a birthing process. And they fell from grace. And through them, mankind was somehow in this uh, unusual linking, bound to sin. You know, this, this original sin has now been passed on generation to generation to all uh, peoples. But Christ and his mother Mary, they were conceived immaculately. And they remained faithful, and through them mankind was redeemed from sin. Christ is therefore the new Adam, and Mary, you could say, is the new Eve. And they uh, untied the, the bondage of sin, her by bringing the Savior into the world, and Jesus by his very offering of himself to the Father on the cross for all of our sins. The perfect victim who... Um, Paid the price for all of the the uh, the perpetrators, the criminals, you could say. That was all of us, all sinned against God. Saint Irenaeus said, "Being obedient, she became the cause of salvation for herself and for her whole human race. The cause. She's not the 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 one who would bring about." The salvation, but she's the cause. So through her, salvation came. The knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. And what the virgin Eve bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened. So comparing her with Eve, they call Mary the mother of the living and frequently claim death through Eve, life through Mary. Oh, poor Eve. <laughs> that would be a tough, uh, tough title to carry through heaven, death through Eve. Uh, and we, we would hope she's there. Um, now, finally, let's ask this question. How does this make Mary an icon of our own destiny? An icon of our own destiny. Those who die in God's friendship and thus go to heaven will be freed from all sin and the stain of sin. Uh, therefore, we would be rendered immaculate. You don't get into heaven without being immaculate, perfect. So it's not just being faithful to God. But we then have to be purified of all sin and stain of sin. That's the requirement to enter heaven. 
Now, you can be purified in this life, which would be a very wise thing to do, through our uh, persistence in, towards and in holiness. And if we die in friendship with God, uh, in love with God, and perfectly purified, he will purify us. Uh, the, we will enter heaven immediately. If not perfectly purified, we must go to purgatory until we are immaculate. This is why martyrs go straight to heaven. Because in the moment of martyrdom, the person is surrendering everything to God, even their very life. They offer up their life. And to do that, one has to be free from any uh, attachment to sin. So therefore, they are given this great reward of entering paradise of heaven immediately. Uh, okay, so I think... We have about 10 minutes, not even. So we'll, we'll see if there's any questions we can call from the email folder for the exorcist. Are you there, Kevin? I am, Father. How are you? Good morning. Good. Good. Thank you. How are you? Oh, you know, just, just hanging around. It's so weird to be on the West Coast because, you know, it's early here. It's only like 7, 18 in the morning, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it, you have to get your day together a little quicker to get on the air. <laughs> So yeah, well, I, I don't like the West Coast because my NBA basketball team plays in the Western Conference, and sometimes their games don't tip off until nine. So oh, <laughs> another yeah, I don't, I haven't adjusted well. By like ten o'clock at night, I'm wiped out, and I wake up at like four. Yeah, so. mm -hmm. but anyway. Hey, so do we have any questions today? Uh, we do. Um, if somebody wants to call real quick, it's 866-333-6279. If you want to leave your questions in the email, it's exorcist at radiomaria.us. Uh, I'm going to uh, pull this one from Chris, who's uh, sent us the email from Canada. Uh, so it's just a simple theological question. So in the Old Testament, uh, before Jesus' time, they, like, they called everybody Lord. So he was kind of wondering, um, he gave an example, like in Job chapter 1, verse 6, what, what is meant, um, and if I know, if I think, I, I think it's like multiple um, answers to this, but what do they mean when they say Lord, uh, especially in the Old Testament? Okay, so the way we would use Lord today, our Lord Jesus Christ, it's, we, Lord now has become synonymous with God. But back in the day, you know, Old Testament days, it's a title that was just generally given to anybody who was a ruler of any kind. Um, so we would apply that to God as a heavenly ruler over everything. But kings, governors, uh, prophets, they were all given that title too, the Lord, my Lord. Uh, you even hear it, the British, I believe, in the United Kingdom, when they meet, um, I believe if it's an archbishop, or above, they give him the title, my Lord. So they'll approach it, the archbishop and say, oh, my Lord, how are you today? Um, I saw this once almost tried to be done with my former bishop, Choby. And there was a seminarian that went up to him who um, tried to use that title and said, oh, good morning, my Lord. And the bishop swung his head around like at breakneck speed and said, we only have one Lord, and I'm not him. So he's, okay. he's adopting, as we should all today, there's only one Lord. We don't use that title for the people. And that's what I thought. I thought uh, the new proper term for the bishop is your eminence. Is that, is that correct? 
Yeah. Or, or something to that effect. Yes. Um, eminence and excellency. I always confuse them. One's for cardinals, one's for bishops. But I believe eminence is bishop. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I've got a good question here from the email from Sarah. Uh, so this will probably take up the rest I'm sorry. of sorry. Eminence is cardinal. I had it wrong. Okay. We were backwards then. Okay. Excellency. Yeah. Excellency is bishop. That's good to know. Next time I run into uh, Bishop Robert over here. I never remembered, so I just say, hello, Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. You know, I try to be as respectful as possible. Um, okay, so here's a good one, Father Dan, uh, from Sarah. Uh, this this couple is trying to do the right thing, and she had a question. So her and her boyfriend have been dating for three years, and recently they've been talking about uh, getting married. Uh, she, is went, she went to uh, 13 years of Catholic school and was raised Roman Catholic. Now, her boyfriend was raised as a Marianite Catholic. Uh, he's very connected to his Lebanese roots, and his family has become friendly with th their priest at the church there. Um, she has attended the Marianite Mass. Half of the Mass is spoken in Arabic. Neither of them speak or understand it. Her question is, well, she's got several, so I want to try to break it down as quickly as possible. What church should they get married in when the time comes? What about their children? Uh, and what church should they attend and have their children baptized of course, and then she asked as a sidebar, have you ever been to a Marianite Mass? And if you have, what do you think? I have not because uh, my whole existence was in a part of the world that really didn't have a lot of, you know, New York, uh, Long Island, New York. I don't I don't believe we ever had that right there. If you're being raised in uh, the Middle East, probably a lot more opportunities to go to a Marianite. Um, it's you said Marianite, right? Correct, yeah, uh, the, okay, so the Marianite uh, right. It's yeah. part of the Eastern Catholic Church, and it is in full, full communion with the Pope and the Worldwide Catholic Church. And I believe you can uh, interchange by going, if you're, if you're a Roman Catholic, you could go to that Mass if there was no other you know, Roman Catholic Mass around it, and vice versa. But the, like, she said it best when she said, you know, she doesn't understand the language. They're going to be very hard to find a church. Um, in America that would be like local to where you live unless they already have one in their neighborhood. So they're going to have to decide, you know, and then the children, of course, you're going to have to raise children that are going to have to be um, fluent in the way they do the liturgy, which is, it is a little different than the way the Roman Catholic church does the liturgy. So, I mean, if you want um, ease of uh, understanding what's happening, it would be Roman Catholic. You know, when you go on vacation to, let's say you go to, you know, the south of France, you're probably not going to find a Maronite church. If you go to the Caribbean, you're probably not going to find a Maronite. So you're going to be traveling and having to just go to the Roman Catholic church locally. But if they really have a deep devotion to the Maronite, then they, they could maybe find a church and move close to it. But it will be more difficult in practicing the faith through that rite if you don't have one in your, in your local town. Okie dokie. Let's do uh, one more. This is a pretty good one that probably most people have questions about. So um, the Catholic Church's position on uh, that, do you believe that Christians who have been baptized and accept Jesus as their Savior will get into heaven that aren't Catholic? Um, is it only if you are a member of the Catholic Church that you get to heaven? No, we don't teach that. Um, St. Augustine said it best, everyone the Church has, God doesn't have. And everyone God has, the church doesn't have. 
But baptism is critical, okay? So if you're baptized, that's the entry point into being, you know, into the kingdom of God. And we do hold that to be true, but we acknowledge all baptisms that are done according to the proper form and matter, which means water is either poured over the head or the person is dunked while saying, uh, I baptize you, and then the name of the person, John Doe, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that would be a valid baptism. There's several self-proclaimed Christian religions that don't do that formula, that baptize in Jesus' name only. We would say that's not a valid baptism, and therefore they would not be baptized. So, but yes, even Muslims and Jews, if you notice at the liturgy on at the Easter vigil, we're praying for all of them to come into the full communion. So we pray for the Jews, we pray for uh, the separated uh, brethren who were Christians, we pray, then we pray for even people who don't believe in God at all, if they would, through their good works and, and a moment of grace, they would turn to Jesus and come back to him or open their eyes to his presence in their life. God, can, we know he works most efficiently through the sacraments, but he's not bound by them. So God can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. You know, certainly we would acknowledge Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Elijah were not baptized. And yet we know we say they're in heaven. So he can work. He can do whatever he wants. But we know for sure we can proclaim if you've been baptized and you're following Christ and you're loving him and your neighbor with all your heart and soul and strength that you you will get to heaven. Okay, and the, real quick, this is a follow-up question on my end. What do you mean as fullness of the truth? The fullness of the truth would be the Catholic faith, which has, you know, everything that has been given by Christ to the church. So it's it's the word, which is the fullness of the scriptures, Jewish Old Testament plus the New Testament, in addition to our tradition, like I was saying earlier. So like the dogma of the Immaculate Conception is part of the fullness of the truth, but all the other Christian denominations would, would probably reject that. So they wouldn't have the fullness of the truth. Perfect. That's what I was going for. Okay. Hey, have a great day. God bless you all. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Kevin. Have a great weekend and a wonderful solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. This is Father Dan signing out. Thank you so much for listening to the Radio Maria podcasts. It's thanks to listeners like you who donate that enable us to continue delivering quality content to listeners around the world. If you'd like to contribute and help us keep spreading the message of Our Lady's Son, please consider making a donation. You can reach us at 888-408-0201 or simply visit our donations tab on our website at radiomaria.us. Your generosity truly makes a difference. This has been a Radio Maria production.